tip of the iceberg. That's right. I think it was like Game of Thrones. It, it was. I don't really even know what instrument they use. Were you guys actually like commissioned to sing that theme song? Yeah, we're being paid by Benioff and Weiss or whatever their names are. Yeah, it sounds just like that. Thank you. Wow. Well, if you haven't been tipped off yet, today we're talking about Game of Thrones, and I if. I were listening, I would not have known what any of that was because I don't watch Game of Thrones. Right. Right. I I don't even... That's the first time I've heard that beautiful rendition, but it was inspiring. Really, really good. Um, I have brought to you, Tip of the Iceberg listeners, Game of Thrones experts, people who have been watching since the beginning. Well, (laughs) I've seen the beginning. (laughs) I've watched it all. Here today we have Brittany and Sydney, Safe Project staff, who love Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. And they want to talk a little bit about the show, right? Yeah. I mean, specifically sexual violence and gender-based violence in Game of Thrones. Right. Which is, to be fair, so I, that's part of the reason that I never watched the show is I heard that there was a lot of sexual assault in it and I was just like, meh don't need it yeah absolutely um so i don't know a lot about it but i'm really excited that you guys have number one the expertise in the show because you've watched it all and number two this lens of like you know a lot about sexual assault you know a lot about gender-based violence and so i'm excited to have that conversation where we kind of bridge the gap I feel like you're kind of throwing the word expert out there a little willy-nilly i really feel like you guys are experts so a big disclaimer is that i have read the first book and that's it. So everything that I know that happens in the book is from research um, via Wikipedia. And okay, sure. I have not read any of the books. Yeah. <laughs> is that? Do you have to be read all of the books to be considered an expert? I think so. I is think that so in the too. Game of Thrones culture? It's like the people that watch the TV show, and then there's the people that read the books and watch the TV show. From the way I understand, is like the diehard fans have read all the books, but because at this point the television show has surpassed. The novels, mm-hmm. um, you can still be a huge fan of the show and still be really engaged in that fan base, but not have all of the knowledge from the books. Mm-hmm. I also feel like today we're not talking about, I mean, we're going to be mentioning the books a little bit, yeah. but we're not actually talking about the books. We're talking about how things were portrayed in the TV show, because that's where pretty much all the controversy has come from, Right, is about the TV show. Yeah, Absolutely. But maybe we should start with introductions. Sure, go ahead. Hello, my name is Sydney. (laughs) I'm an advocate here at Safe Project. I'm about five months into my work here. And my name is Brittany. Um, I've been on a previous episode. Um, That's right. You recognize her beautiful voice. (laughs) Yes. Um, I feel like I've heard that voice before. (laughs) (laughs) Seen that face. My deep. You're a faceless (laughs) woman. Because. It's because through the podcast. podcast. Yeah, that's that's true. Is that a joke I don't get? Yes. <laughs> oh, bummer. Okay, I was oh, like... Oh, yes, that's right. I think it was a Game of Thrones reference. It, it was. Very clearly it was, pretty. Got it a second too late. Um, I am the Housing and Life Skills Coordinator at Safe Project, and I've been here for a little bit over a year. And you are all too familiar with my voice, so I'm just going to leave it at that. 
Yeah. Hello again. <laughs> but I'm going to... So here's the thing is I've mentioned that I haven't watched the shows, but I haven't even done any research really. I'm just not into the whole Game of Thrones scene. Not because I don't want to be. It just hasn't happened for me yet. And so for the most part, I'm going to let Brittany and Sid take this away. Um, I'll jump in here and there because I'll prob- most likely have questions as per usual. Um, oh, that'd be good. So not having seen it, if you... If we're being confusing, then you can ask us to clarify something. Mm. Or if something sticks out to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay. That sounds good. And also, having said that, I mean, I feel like this would go without saying, but spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) If you plan on watching Game of Thrones, maybe wait to listen. You know, here's the thing, though. The The final episode of the entire show aired on Sunday. So at this point, the show is part of history. If you haven't watched... (laughs) <laughs> then you are setting yourself up for spoilers. So, wow. in general, really in harsh. Yeah. Really harsh at this point. Yeah, but. it's been like five days, people. Like, yeah. get on it. But also, if you have been waiting to watch Game of Thrones because you heard about all the sexual violence and and you felt like, oh man, I don't want to support sexual violence in TV. Um, then maybe some of what we talk about today may actually change your mind. Not about sex, not about supporting sexual violence in TV. I mean, we all don't (laughs) think that the media should support sexual violence, but right, or maybe like sensationalized. Yeah, Yeah. sexual Mm -hmm. violence is a part of our world and our life, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And so to completely omit it from television is kind of unrealistic, in my opinion. And I so, agree. Well, I, I love when I watch a TV show and there's a sexual assault situation that's handled well mm-hmm. or is portrayed accurately or the person is maybe reacting in a way that people don't expect in the real world, but as advocates we know might happen. Right. right. So I, think, I don't know if that happens on this show, but I'm down for that. I think one of the not nice things about Game of Thrones, but one of the interesting things is that a lot of these situations are very different from one another. So there are definitely similarities between how sexual assault is portrayed across the entire show, but I think each situation is also a little bit individual unto itself. And so... Yeah, there's a varied... There's a lot of uh, differences between the actual instance of sexual assault and what context it's in. I mean, I would say most of them are are kind of in the context of a forced marriage. Um, but, like, yeah. how the sexual assault happens and, like, the varying degrees of brutality that are in it and also right. the kind of relationship that they have to each other yeah. um, is different. And then also how the victims and survivors of sexual assault respond to that mm. to that mm-hmm. and are um, kind of dealing with it internally and externally, um, I think, is is also really interesting to me. Is that why you think it's been controversial as, like, a show? Is that they they don't react in, in the ways that the world at large expects them to? I think, yeah, that's some of the criticism that, that I've heard, um, is that they think that it's um, contributing to myths about sexual assault, which, yeah. like, as an advocate, I'm like, yeah, the world is against that, you know? Like, the world is against perpetuating rape myths, you yeah. know? Which is awesome. Like, yeah. um, you know, so, like, on the one hand, I really appreciate that everyone is like, no, we shouldn't have this stuff in TV. But on the other hand, I also think that... I think it's good that it's generating a conversation, I guess, mm-hmm. is, is what I'm 
pleased yeah. with, I guess. I think another part that is really controversial is that a lot of times these scenes are not driving the plot forward, so it appears mm-hmm. as though it's just unnecessary mm-hmm. violence right. for the purpose mm-hmm. of sensationalizing. Yeah. Right. Um, it's basically, what's the, what's the term, like, um, oh god, I can't think of it. I don't know, I don't know where you're going. Um, where something's really sad and devastating, it's like something porn, sadness porn, I, devastation porn, I, I know. <laughs> and he's like, please cut this out. Please cut yeah. it out. <laughs> there's, a, there's a term when all you watch is like bad news articles and... Oh, I don't know what this is. Okay, well, I thought I that was just life today. No. <laughs> I was like, uh, 2019, is that what we're getting at? She's looking it up right now. You're hearing her click clacking of uh, furious typing. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, God. This is not a good choice. Wow. She just Google searches oh, devastation porn. You guys do not want to get, know This is not great. Up. Thank you for that. Okay. Thank you for that in my, <laughs> in my Thursday. There's oh, a my. word for this. I'll figure it out later. Okay, well, stay tuned, because next week, <laughs> you're yeah. going to learn more about devastation porn. <laughs> but for now, let's jump into Game of Thrones and some of the instances <laughs> no, that we what, actually find. I know you want to, like, jump ahead, because oh, that yeah. wasn't really awkward. But here's the thing. Like, I understand what you're saying is that, like, I think as a culture, so many people are driven towards this, like, bad news. I want to, this yeah. is sad, this is bad. This, yeah. is, this is kind of what you're saying, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so you see that in the show, maybe. I, I see that the writers would want to play to that because mm. that is a big moneymaker, right? Mm-hmm. And at the end, even though we love a lot of the storytelling aspects of Game of Thrones, the reason that Game of Thrones exists is to make money. Like, right. let's not forget that. Capitalism is real, people. Good. Consumer-driven capitalism. Mm-hmm. That's great. So, Game of Thrones. Brittany, what are some of the things in Game of Thrones that really stand out to you when it comes to gender-based violence? Um, so, we've already touched a bit on the sexual assault, um, and so we'll definitely t- talk more about that later. But something that hasn't been talked a lot about in Game of Thrones as far as gender-based violence is the sexual mutilation. And it actually mm. plays oh. a bigger Role um, both in the lives of the characters of Game of Thrones as well as actually driving the plot line. I did a lot of looking into this. I yeah. had, I had, yesterday. and I hadn't heard of that. Yeah, I had. So, I heard a lot about like the rape scenes, the rape scenes, right. the brother sister. Yes, I don't Being even know what that is. Yeah. Sure, but I had not ever been told of mutilation. Okay, so some of the characters that we see who have experienced genital mutilation include Varys, who is the master of whispers on the king's council, and a young as a young boy, he was sold to a sorcerer who cut off his genitals and sacrificed them to the fire gods. Um, we also see this huge army called the Unsullied that are incredible warriors, and one of the reasons for that is because they are fully castrated. Um, well, I don't. I would. I wouldn't necessarily say that. Um, that's a prerequisite for being a great warrior. No, but, but I think they castrate them yeah. purposefully because then they won't take wives or they won't yeah. build those relationships. Or yeah, they're considered to be things. more disciplined, mm. right? They don't have the distraction of right. sex. Yeah. So not not to say that they're great warriors because they have been castrated, but knowing that that's a piece of the puzzle. Right. Yeah. Um, and then we also see Theon Greyjoy, who is 
tortured, and part of the way he's been tortured is having his genitals removed. Yeah, and that, I mean, that whole scene is, to me, both a, co- it's a combination of sexual assault and yeah, sexual absolutely. mutilation. It's pretty awful. That's confusing to me, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, but it's interesting to me that there's kind of, like, this dual-faceted, if you are mutilated, I guess, right? If you have your genitals removed, then you're also a better warrior, more trusted, whatever. But then at the same time, it's a method of torture. Right. So I think one of the interesting things that I came to conclude about all of this is that, first of all, all the genital mutilation in Game of Thrones happens to men. We see it happening mm-hmm. with men, which is... Never women? No, not in it's Game of Thrones. at least never talked about, yeah. I don't think. Yeah. So it could be... It could, I'm sure it exists in that world. We just don't hear about it. Um... But what I came to conclude is that it's consistently used as a as a tool of power. So oh. Theon is castrated because Ramsay Bolton, who is torturing him, is exerting his power and control. The Unsullied are warriors who are, are owned. Like, they are bought and sold as common merchandise, and so by being castrated, their, their owners are exerting this power and saying... I own you, everything about you I can control, mm. and as a warrior, you respond to me, and this is how many I kind of love that, because that just speaks to what we know about sexual violence in general, is that it's all about power. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's not, it's, sexual violence and sexual assault isn't just like, a, oh, I can't control my urges, so I think we're going to have sex right now, because right. that's what I really want to do. It's like, I want control and power, mm-hmm. and so... I like that that is they're staying true to that concept of evidence in the show. Right. It's something else for me about the especially just the sexual mutilation involving male genitalia is that in two out of these three instances that we're talking about for varies and the unsullied there is an uh, an added component of sacrifice to that and so for varies that magician sacrificed Varies his genitalia to the fire god and got, I mean, it, I guess it gave the magician some extra power or, or something like that. Right. Um, or he got some special question answered. Um, the Unsullied, the, the um, procedure by which they were uh, castrated was kind of similar. Like, they sacrificed their genitalia to some, like, special god, goddess or something like that, and it was a part of their full initiation into being the unsullied. Um, And so for me, that really speaks volumes as to how valued male genitalia is Mm. because it holds so much power. Like you only sacrifice things that mean a lot or else it wouldn't be a sacrifice. Right. I think that power is also spoken to in the instance of Theon. Ramsey mails his, I don't know if he mails, I'm sure he didn't go to the post office and like <laughs> send, the, send the package with Theon's package in it, but um, um, Ramsey sends Theon's penis to his Theon's package. dad. Right. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. And package his dad. Package, yeah. <laughs> so his dad is effectively like. He can't bear sons. Like, he's effectively dead. Like, I know I'm killing him. So, absolutely, like, the power, that's in quotes, of male genitalia is absolutely capitalized on through all of this mutilation. Um, And then in addition, um, 
I mean, the the ways in which being castrated are viewed by society differs according to cultures. Mm-hmm. And so it's only pretty much just in Westeros where varies, you know, is located in for mo- for a lot of the seasons. So I guess um, we should be more clear varies and the unsullied are both castrated in Essos, mm-hmm. which is equated kind of like to the eastern hemisphere mm. in the middle ages um yeah. whereas westeros is equated to the western hemisphere oh ages. i see what they did there yeah i got mm-hmm. you that yeah. makes sense yeah sorry you're the expert in this so, room continue um so in westeros castration is not viewed kindly um and so there's a lot of comments made to varies throughout his time in westeros in the show about him being untrustworthy because of his castration. Because he's Which eunuch. is really oh, interesting. Yeah. It's super interesting, too, because I love Varys. He, to me, is the true hero of this story. Mm-hmm. Like, all he cares about is the people. Um, and he might not be trustworthy to certain nobles who he's aligning with, but he's always trustworthy in terms of the general people and the peasants or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um as opposed to other characters who are consistently making comments and who are much less trustworthy in every sense of the word and have absolutely no morals. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, it's an interesting... I, I read, when I was looking into Varys' backstory, I read an interesting blog post about how his castration as a boy may be one of the most important plot points in the entire Series. Why is that? Because, so apparently when this, when his genitalia was thrown into the fire, the fire spoke. Like, there was a god in the fire that spoke. And he never says what the fire said. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says that he still remembers it to this day, and it has, like, reverberated in his mind ever since. There's a theory that the fire said Daenerys Targaryen. And at that point, he didn't know, you know, he was a boy in East, Easteros? Yeah, Essos. Essos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe Essos. Essos. Um, and so he didn't know, but, like, that may have... And then also, like, when the wizard or magician was done with him, he just threw Varys out into the street, and he had to learn to fend for himself, and he became, like, a, a courier or whatever. And so he was basically, like, going back and forth with people's secrets, and he learned the power of secrets, and so, so, and then he like pursued that, and then he ended up um, becoming like into the court of the Targaryens. Right. I'm wondering. I want to transition a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about something that you mentioned with Sansa? We have a whole outline here that we put yeah. together. So you talk about how Sansa um, feels about her experiences in retrospect and how it's not necessarily negative. Um, can you maybe talk about the similarities between that and Varys' situation? Um, I mean, I think the way that Varys talks about... There's, like, there's just this one scene where he's talking about um, how he was castrated. And it's in a very kind of nonchalant way. He's just basically telling this story to Tyrion. And, um, and as he's doing this, he's, <laughs> he's unboxing this crate. He's taking the lid off of this big crate. Oh. And so um, he's talking about how 
basically, I mean, he's basically describing the how the person that he is today became, and it all started with his um, with this genital mutilation. And at the end of his speech, um, he's kind of talking about it's going more into revenge mm. and how he has waited a long time to find the magician that did this to him. And so he finally finishes pulling all the nails off of the top of the crate, and inside is this old guy. And it, I mean, I guess we just assume that it's the magician, and he's been yeah, having him in this crate, and he's basically been tortured. Like, there's something wrong with his face. Like, it's been severely burned or something. And so this is all a lesson for Tyrion, basically, in being patient (laughs) with revenge, because it's worth it. Um, And so it's kind of a dual thing for, for Varys, because on the one hand, he's talking about how, like, I am who I am today because this happened, but also... He's so, like, it's also consumed him getting revenge. I think it's worth mentioning that, from what I've read, um, in the book, um, Varys does not take this revenge. Hmm. Which I think is interesting that the show creators added that in. Because I think it, I mean, I think it adds another level to Varys' character and, like, just shows how powerful he is and how he's infiltrated so many different circles and he's able to find this man. I don't I don't know. I I just found it interesting that that was a creation of the show creators. Why do you think there's that difference in the book versus the show? I don't know. I think in the show it's a more satisfying ending. I think in the show it's much more satisfying to have revenge yeah. than it is mm-hmm. to be, you know, dealing with this trauma your whole life and not being able to have that. There is a lot of revenge. Yeah. (laughs) Revenge is definitely a theme for a lot of characters. So I I do want to talk about Sansa. So she is one of my favorite characters. Um, Not related to this conversation, I love Sansa because she illustrates that you can be powerful and feminine, which is such a foil to Arya, her sister, who becomes this amazing warrior and all this stuff, but who really sacrifices the more traditionally feminine qualities in order to become this powerful, engaging character. Mm. Um, And I think Arya's character is a huge trope throughout literature, especially for young women. Like, growing up and reading a lot of YA novels, there's always a character who embodies these masculine qualities in order to become really likable and strong and interesting, and I just think Sansa is... The opposite of that and illustrates that you can be feminine and powerful, and I just love that about her. Um, but Sansa also goes through completely different things than Arya does because of that. Because mm-hmm. um, So Sansa's story arc is that she's eventually basically given by this really creepy guy Littlefinger to Ramsay Bolton, the man who had castrated Theon and was torturing Theon. Um, and Ramsay marries her, and they... Well, I mean, that's a kind way of yeah. putting it. Ramsay is a psychopath, and yeah. Sansa is forced to marry her, and they are living in her home 
you know, that Ramsey and his family have taken over. Right. Talk about some power dynamics there. Yeah, so it's really interesting because he marries and rapes Sansa in her homeland. Yeah, and also forces Theon to watch. Right. Oh, okay. So let's talk a little bit about that scene. So it's it's their wedding night. They're in Winterfell, which is where Sansa was raised and has been... She's just been trying to get home ever since she left. Um... So she makes it home, and she ends up marrying Ramsay, and he rapes her on their wedding night and makes Theon watch. And so um, this scene is so controversial. It's one of the most controversial controversial scenes um, because people are saying it doesn't drive the plot line forward. Ramsay has already been established as this really sadistic, horrible person. Um, so really there isn't any reason for that. And then to top it all off... In this scene, you you see him ripping off her dress, and then as he rapes her, the camera turns around and pans on Theon's face. So a lot of critics are unpleased that it's showing Theon's emotion while you hear Sansa being raped in the background, and so the focus is not on her and her trauma, it's on Theon and his reaction. Hmm. Um, and so I think this is, like, one of the this is kind of the epitome of the argument that violence against women is used as a plot device to motivate male characters to action. Um, But Theon didn't really act on that. Not at the time, but then he goes on to eventually help Sansa escape and escape with her. That's Sansa's rape and the the continued rape of Sansa every night that, um, that Theon knows about is something that motivates him to eventually leave Winterfell and help her escape. I mean, I think that it's not a need... Like, I think it's in there because it also is a part of Sansa's story. And so to say that there's it, that scene is pointless detracts from the importance of Sansa. Right. Well, also, okay, I don't watch the show, but I... The, the line you just said, and I don't know if you pulled that from an article or whatever, that violence against women is used as a plot point to motivate men to act. Did mm-hmm. I get that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what's I, I don't, wrong with Yeah, that? that's what I was Number one. Thinking. Number two, how is that different than in the context of our world today? Is it better to have violence against women happen and then it not motivate <laughs> men to act? The fact that in this show, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, because, again, I have no idea what I'm talking about, but in this show, <laughs> violence against women happens, and then men see it and are motivated to mm-hmm. act. Right. That seems like a huge thumbs up to me. Yeah. So I think the issue is that the women are used as a plot device, so it's not furthering their character, it's not telling you anything about them. What all The only reason that the women are acted upon in horrific ways is in relation to the male characters. So it's not about the female's journey or what she's experiencing or how it affects her. The whole point of this is that the male character is kind of in a static place, and then by seeing this violence, they're motivated to act. Hmm. So there's this thing in... Um, I was just reading about this yesterday. It's called Women in Refrigerators. And basically there's this comic and the Green Lantern comes home and find that finds that his girlfriend has been murdered by the bad guy and shoved into a refrigerator. So the idea of a woman in refrigerator in a refrigerator is that a, a woman is needlessly killed or sexually assaulted or mutilated or something violent has happened to her. And the man comes 
and sees it and sees what's happening, and that is what causes him to act. Mm. So I see what you're saying. Like, in the context of the real world, yes, we want violence against women to motivate men to act, but when you're crafting a story and the whole purpose of a plot point is to motivate a male char- character to act, I think that's where it's It's just kind of an, another way that women are shown as pawns in a larger right. game. Mm-hmm. They're never their yeah. own thing, but they are just... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I could see how that's problematic, but I think in this instance, it contributes a lot to Sansa's own storyline. Like, if she never appeared or had much dialogue in the future after this scene, then I would say, yeah, maybe she's just a prop for Theon's, mm-hmm. you know, future acts. But, I mean, one of the whole other controversial things is that Sansa acknowledges that what the trauma that she's gone through, including being raped, has contributed to who she is as a person. Yeah. And so I think, I don't know, to me that those, I guess it's good to acknowledge that that is a possibility, the the woman in the refrigerator, but I don't really, I personally don't see that applying to this instance. I think another point on the opposing side is that um, marital rape is really common in the Middle Ages. So Sansa didn't choose her husband, similarly mm, to... And her, today. And today. <laughs> yes, no, absolutely, absolutely. I think in the context of the show, um, it's taking place in this medieval period, um, and women do not choose their partners. Their partners are often chosen for them by their parents for political alliances and all this stuff. Right. Um, which is exactly what Littlefinger does, is he facilitates this marriage so that he can gain power um, through the Boltons. Um, and so the, there's been a lot of argument on the flip side that not showing marital rape in this situation would be an injustice to Sansa's character. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a whole other side of this. Reality. And I think, Britt, you yeah. were talking to me about this, about how, like, because I said, I don't know, there's just a lot of sexual assault, and you kind of put it in a new context of that this story is telling a story of war. Yeah. And... What we know is that sexual assault happens extremely frequently in instances of war. And so to not have all of this sexual assault in the story would just be like completely disregarding a whole group of people that have been oppressed in this way and have been victimized in this way. So you're kind of saying the same thing. Like to not have this happen, it would have just been completely whitewashing something that was very real. Right. Well, and, it, and for me, it's not just about, like, how sexual violence happens in war. It's also the cultures that encourage struggles, like international struggles and civil struggles of power and control. Because I, rem- I remember one critic saying, like, well, this is a science fiction story. Like, he, George R. R. Martin could have um, set this in an egalitarian society, well, if it was an egalitarian society, then would there would the whole world and would these countries be at war right. <laughs> and struggling for so much power and control? Mm-hmm. And can you have societies that are constantly struggling for power and control without sexual violence? Mm-hmm. I would personally argue that you cannot. <laughs> right, because of what we know about sexual violence and that it is just another element to gain power and control. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So personally, I don't know how I feel about Sansa being sexually assaulted. I don't know if they could have done it in a different way, in a better way, in a worse way, less frequently, more frequently. Um, 
I think for me, the greatest part about this is at the very end when Sansa is back with John and John and Ramsay are talking and they're preparing for the Battle of the Bastards and Sansa just looks at him and says, you're going to die tomorrow. And she rides away. And then the next day, when Ramsay's captured, she makes, she like prepares him to be eaten by his dogs. And one of my favorite lines in the entire show is just when Ramsay's like, they'll never eat me, they're loyal dogs. And she just says, they were loyal, now they're starving. Oh. And it, and she releases the hounds and they kill him and it's no so great. So there's more revenge for you. <laughs> exactly. So I think this theme of revenge as a response to violence is um, obviously really common throughout Game of Thrones and in literary works of every nation and um, but I think it just sets all this sets the stage for Sansa to start being a really powerful player and being able to exert some of her really ferocious violence herself. And Sansa's violence is my favorite thing about the show. Between her killing Ramsay or killing Ramsay and killing Littlefinger and... Okay, what is that name about? Okay, yeah, so let's talk about Littlefinger a bit because I want to process with you I have always found Littlefinger to be super perpy. And... I just can't, because, I mean, at one point he kisses her, he kind of has, like, an ownership type feel It's weird, because he was in love with her mom. Yeah. And then now he's, like, trying to get on Sansa. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, dirty uncle. Yeah. But I also like him to a certain extent, too. But he's also creepy. No. What's redeeming to you about him? I mean, there's nothing but a shitty actor. There's like I watch him, I'm like, you're a bad actor. Like, I just want you to die. (laughs) (laughs) Because he played a part. He helped Sansa get away, and I know that he didn't do that for his own benefit. Like he helped her escape. Escape what? From King's Landing, right? (sighs) Yeah, but like, no, I'm I'm saying he didn't do this for his own benefit. Like he helped her escape and then. He, he helped her escape. He only helped her escape so he could go to the Erie and marry right. um, Lysa, who was a whole other thing. Right. Oh yeah, that whole breastfeeding yeah. her. You know. Yeah, but then then Robin <laughs> turns out to be a hunk. Oh my god, he was so cute. Did you see him in the series finale? No. He is. Okay, maybe I didn't know what I was seeing. Mm, he is a and tall drink of breast that's milk. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to think about him being attractive. Yeah, he is though. But this is a really off topic. <laughs> Basically, Littlefinger only Littlefinger only uses Sansa in a power for in a in a sorry, in a way for him to gain power. Yeah. That is just a tool purpose. She's a tool, whether it's, you know, yeah. him getting ahead in life or him having And that's that he another covets. example of her being a plot device. Mm-hmm. He's using her in order to to motivate his own agenda. He's like in idea in an ideal world we'll end up together, but if she if she dies and I'm still in power, then that's fine with me. Littlefinger thinks he's gonna end up with her? Yes. What? Littlefinger's in love with her mother. Second best. Then um I can't have your mom, I'll just have you. Yeah. Right? Yes, basically. I think he happens. does care about Sansa in like his own way. I think but, he like, cares it's about his her own perpy way. Secondarily. She's not his yeah. priority. 
He doesn't actually care about her. He just cares about getting power. And ideally, he wants to be on the Iron Throne with her as his bride so that he can be the one to rape her every night. Yeah. So let's talk about how Sansa feels about her traumas that she's gone through. Yeah, I agree, because you had some really interesting views, and I want to hear more about them. Yeah, so um, one of the biggest, I think, I don't know about the biggest, because there's, I guess, a lot of controversies about season eight, but one of the controversies is Sansa's uh, conversation with the Hound when they're all celebrating a the culmination of a of a very uh, important battle, <laughs> and so the Hound is like, tell Sansa, if you had just left uh, King's Landing with me, then you wouldn't have had to go through all of this crappy stuff. Right. And Sansa basically says, but like this has made me who I am, and I am strong because of this. And so the critics argue that that's sh- like being too positive basically about sexual violence right and um can we talk about post-traumatic growth because this is something i've heard a lot about but did you not being in social i did not mention it i swear that is so funny okay because Brittany was in my office and she was talking about how controversial this was and how the haters were hating strong and i was like oh that just sounds like post-traumatic growth to me so (laughs) So funny so i've heard i've heard about post-traumatic growth this is a common thing but maybe would you livy would you be able to talk about it being a social worker yes i will except for i will correct you it's not super common it's not a super common thing i think well um, salsa is perfect so if anyone's going to experience post-traumatic growth it's going to be salsa Let me rephrase. (laughs) Let me rephrase. It's a common thing to have happen. It's not a common thing to discuss. I don't think people are out there, like, screaming it from the billboards, post-traumatic growth. Oh, like, I have post-traumatic growth. Like, Like, look at me. And and that that is part of the process. I think it happens in, I would say, everyone who experienced trauma, but it's not, like, commonly discussed. So what does post-traumatic growth look like, and how does it happen? Yeah. So I think it's used frequently discussed in a, in a therapeutic setting. Okay. And so maybe that's why we don't hear a lot about it. Okay. Um, but basically everyone knows that post-traumatic stress, you know, you have, you go through this terrible thing and your life has changed. Maybe you're super jumpy. Maybe you're having bad dreams. You're reliving all of these terrible things. This is post-traumatic stress. Right. And everybody experiences it. Even if you get over your trauma really quick and you're like, this is fine. My life is back to normal. Everything's good. Everyone experiences post-traumatic stress. Okay. What's less frequently talked about is post-traumatic growth. And I think it's a huge, in my opinion, it's a huge part of the healing process from trauma. Okay. So you have all these things. You're like, I can't sleep the same way. I can't go on these certain streets. I don't wear this shirt anymore. Whatever is post-traumatic stress for you. But at a certain point, you realize that you also gained things from this trauma. Like, maybe you now have a better understanding of people. Or maybe you can empathize with other people who've gone through trauma. Or maybe you have a strong sense of gratitude for when things are going well. Hmm. And it's not because these things just naturally happen to you. It's because you went through this trauma, and from that, you grew. Just like you grow from anything that happens to you. I mean, that makes sense to me. That It sounds like post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic growth kind of go hand in hand. Because stress happens in order to motivate us to make change and move forward, right? Right. So it would make sense to me that if you're going through post-traumatic stress 
it's in an effort to your body is trying to get you to change something and grow and move forward. Hmm. Right? Like, the reason, the only reason that any of us make any change is because we're going through stress, whether it's financial stress, so we need to get a job, or whatever that stress is, it's a motivator. I think there are elements of that that are true. Okay. I think that might be an oversimplification. Okay. But I think that you are, um, in time, like, you're you're right in a lot of ways. I think that post-traumatic stress happens because the brain is like, I need to keep me safe. Okay. If I go through trauma, my brain is like, okay, whoa, lockdown, code red. My most important thing right now is I'm going to keep you safe. Yeah. And so, I don't know, something terrible just happened, and I don't know when it's going to happen again. So, I'm going to be super jumpy because I'm always going to be prepared, and I'm going to play it back in my head so I know what to do differently next time, and I'm going to keep myself safe. Right. That's where this post-traumatic stress comes in. Um, I think it's, it's a real struggle, Because in reality, it's kind of like anxiety. You know, like when we have anxiety, your brain is like, there's something unsafe. There's something unsafe. I need to prepare for the unsafe thing. However, in a lot of cases, there isn't something unsafe. And that's the problem with PTSD, too, is like you're processing this trauma in a way that you're like, I'm I'm unsafe and I'm going to become safe. I'm unsafe. I'm unsafe. I'm unsafe. And I'm going to change my actions so I can be safe. But in reality, like you are out of this trauma and for all intents and purposes, you are safe, but your brain just isn't there yet. And so I think post-traumatic growth is, and post-traumatic stress are in a similar function, but at two different points in the healing process, in my opinion. Okay. I don't know. Does that, like, make sense? Or yeah. What are your thoughts on that? No, that makes sense. And it sounds to me like that's what Sansa experiences. Because yeah. she gets, it sounds to me like post-traumatic growth is accepting what has happened to you and understanding that maybe you have learned something from it or and I, you're a I, better person in some way for it? I think the criticism and the controversy around this is because people have a hard time. And this is something that I think even survivors who experience post-traumatic growth experience themselves. Um, they have a hard time coming to terms with I, with somebody acknowledging that I like who I am today and I would not be who I am today without that trauma. But at the same time, I do not believe that people should experience that trauma. Right. right. They don't, that's like a cognitive dissonance thing for people to be able to understand. Well, like, let's put it in terms of something that's sexual assault is always going to be controversial. It's always right. going to be super messy. Like, let's put it in terms of like a burglary or a break in. Right. So maybe you are in your house and you have a break in happening. All the doors are locked. All the windows are locked, but they throw a rock through the window and they get in and it's very, very scary. And, um, and, and they steal things. They don't, whatever. It's just a terrifying experience. Um, trauma. We are in trauma, full blown trauma. Right. So, the post-traumatic stress of that is, like, I'm going to board up all my windows. Maybe not actually, but this is my inclination, right? Like, mm-hmm. I want to board up all my windows. I'm going to get, like, a, a security alarm. I'm going to I'm gonna do all these things. I, I can't sleep at night because what if this happens? This is post-traumatic stress. And it's mm-hmm. pretty typical post-traumatic stress. Post-traumatic growth would be getting to the point where you're like, oh, that was terrifying. That was the... One of the scariest things that's happened to me. I lost a TV. I lost my diamond earrings. I lost whatever, but I didn't lose my life, and I'm really grateful for that. And now, based on that experience, 
I tend to not care as much about the diamond earrings because I live knowing that that I made it out okay and every day I live to see another day. Terrible situation, right? Don't want to get burglarized. You don't want to have to go through that terrible situation. But in this point in your life, you're like, wow, I'm really grateful that I have my life and that every day is a blessing. This is a really common thing for people to say, right? Like I survived and it was terrible, but now every day I live knowing that I get to live another day. I really wish that the burglary had not have happened, right? We wish that we did not get to point B here with with the burglary, but it happened. And so it's this growth piece that's like, you come out of this with it. It's kind of, what did you take away from this? What is the growth that you had? So I guess my question would be then, turning it back to Game of Thrones, do we think that that's what was being portrayed? Or do we think that the writers are having her say this stuff in ignorance? I think that that's what's being portrayed. Okay. I think that... I mean, unfortunately, I mean, I can understand why people are up in arms about this, but you have to remember that, like, Sansa, both Sansa and the Hound are people of few words, (laughs) and so they're not going to have an in-depth conversation about how Sansa is grateful for what happened to her, but at the same time doesn't ever want that to happen to her or anybody else, ever. Right. Which is, I think, what people would have needed to feel okay with that. Um, I think it's, I think they're showing, you know, not an uncommon reaction to trauma. Um, I mean, I know that other reactions to trauma in Game of Thrones are also controversial. Um, and I think, but I think that they do a good job in portraying the different reactions to trauma and also the stages that people go through. Because just just for science, we'll just throw this out so it's on the record. There is no one true right way to react to trauma. And we at SAFE run into problems with that all the time. It's because when people, when I'm out presenting or when people are on juries or whatever, a very common thing to hear is like, well, she wouldn't be acting like that if she was actually raped. Or that's not how somebody reacts to sexual assault or whatever. And the truth is, this is backed up by science, it's backed up by researchers that everyone reacts in their own way, and there's no one right way to react to trauma. And so it sounds like people are having this issue with the show as well. Yeah, and it's it's like, I don't know if there's any way that anybody reacted to trauma, sexual trauma in the show, that people were 100% satisfied with. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was a huge thing when, um, when Daenerys was raped by Kel Drogo because she ended Again, up, this is marital rape. Yeah, marital rape. Um, she ended up falling in love with Kel Drogo right. and considered him the love of her life. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the first few times they have sex, like, it's on camera or whatever, and she's obviously being raped. Like, she's crying. And the aftermath of it, she's very much um, depressed and stressed out. She can barely walk the next day. Um, but then she ends up um, falling in love with him. <laughs> yeah. And people did not like that turnout. <laughs> right. And what my question, because 
I don't know what I'm talking about again, but it's like, was this a true love situation? Like, did she truly fall in love or did she, like many people in abusive relationships that we see, make the best of a situation to keep herself safe? Right. I would argue that it's that, but also she fell in love with the control that she ended up having over Cal Drogo through sex with him. And then also being with him because he was the leader of his people gave her more power in turn. So she made it work for her. She made it work for her, and I also think that she was in love with power. I think that, yeah, no, that makes sense in her overall story arc in that she she consistently makes sacrifices in order to have power. Um, I think at the beginning, though, that's not how they portray it. I think they portray it as she is falling in love with him. Mm -hmm. And I think we can make these justifications that she's in love with power, she likes how being in control over him makes her feel. Um, I don't think that was a conscious choice by the creators. Yeah, maybe not. That's Especially, you. That's like... you <laughs> making it better. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's been a while since I've read the first book, but... So all of this Drogo Daenerys arc happens in the first book, and that's not how it's portrayed. From what I remember, it's she falls in love with him. She thinks that he is the shit, and she's into it. And it's not because she's into control. <laughs> um... So I think I think it starts to make sense in, when you look at her story arc, but I I don't believe that the reason that they had her fall in love with Drogo is because of power. I think that was a side effect, and I think when he was murdered by the witch lady or whatever, or almost murdered, um, she, she kind of turned that around and used it to her advantage in order to kill the witch lady and get some dragons, but um, yeah, I don't think initially they had her fall in love with him hmm. because of control and power. Speaking of accidental portrayals yeah. by the writers, um, there's another oh, yeah. rape scene. <laughs> and this one this one does kind of send up some red flags for me. Okay, so I'm going to read you some lines. Okay, Libby? Ooh, okay, okay, okay. And you're going to tell me whether you think what kind oh, of gosh. sex scene you think that this is? What do you mean? What kind of sex scene? Do you, consensual or not? Okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what do you? What do you? What are we getting? This is a little game. Let's play a game called "Is This Consensual?" <laughs> okay. Does our theme music? Uh, Send me some theme music. Okay. Wow. How's that? That was great. Okay. Great. We're gonna begin. Hurry, she was whispering now. Quickly, quickly, now, do it now, do me now. Jamie, Jamie, Jamie. Her hands helped guide him. Yes, Cersei said, as he's... Okay, I mean, she's saying, my brother, sweet brother. Yes, like that. I have you. You're home now. You're home now. You're home. Okay, in this situation, she's kissing his ear. She's stroking his short, bristly hair. Okay, so everything from the context of the text makes me think consensual. Okay. Oh, interesting. So that's the book. Okay, yeah. this is what was in the actual series. Oh, am I wrong? No. Okay, no, good. I was like... I mean, we'll, we won't even touch on the topic of whether they are brothers and they sister... Came, they came into as, this world yeah. together. They were meant to be together. Very close. We'll they leave it alone. Yeah. together. Yeah, they're very, very close. They're very close. Okay. In many ways. Okay, so that was the book. This is the movie. Can we um, have our theme? So... <laughs> so, okay, this is, this is the same context that both scenes happen in. They are standing over the dead body of their son, 
basically mourning him. And again, just to clarify, it sounds like the creators meant to replicate this scene as it is in the book. Right. Which is why... I mean, we talk a lot about how they they end up changing so much that it doesn't really matter if it's from the books or not, but I think their intention was to replicate what happens in the books. Which is why this is disturbing. Right. So Jamie starts kissing Cersei, and she says, not here. He physically restrains her and keeps kissing her as she keeps saying, no, and not here. Then he brings her down to the ground and starts to undress both of them. What? And she keeps fighting physically, saying, it's not right. Oh and he keeps goodness. repeating, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. Stop. That does not happen. Yes. The writers of that scene, and the actors say, we didn't know that that was a rape scene. But, like, everybody... The actors? Yeah, the actors didn't what? even know. The, the writers didn't write it that way. None of the production crew... <laughs> Thought it was a rape scene, but then we so so we look at different angles Whoa. of the shot, and she's like grabbing him in a way that's pulling him closer. Like there are other indicators that it's consensual that weren't in the released scene. Like they have additional footage or whatever. Oh, so maybe um, when they filmed mm, it, it, it right. was more conflicted. But she's still saying no. She's saying, but here, I mean. I think what they needed to do was, before they had sex, they needed to have an open, honest, communicative conversation <laughs> about how... And it might go something like, hey, we're at our son's funeral. I'm, gonna, I'm really sad. Yeah. I'm let's gonna, not have sex here. Well, I think I think it needed to be, we're, let's have sex. I'm going to say no, but our safe word is actually something else. Yeah. Because we really enjoy consensual sex that's really, really rough and maybe even violent. And at our son's funeral. Well, it's not the funeral. They're just like... At our son's gravesite. Over our son's dead body. Right. No... Right. Right. So, to me, the bigger issue is not whether it's sexual assault or not. The bigger issue to me is that all of these people were involved in putting out this scene that everyone interprets as sexual assault. This is... That's... When you watch the scene... It is sexual assault. Yeah. That is how it is. That is how it is viewed. But they didn't and processed. They could have just and reshot none of it. These, you know? None of these people who wrote it, who helped produce it, who were acting in it, said, "Wait a second, this is a red flag." I don't think this is, is what we're trying to portray. So to me, this says that um, we don't understand consent. There's like a lack of Very understanding. Clearly. Um, that's the bigger issue. The issue to me isn't, is this sexual assault? Is it not? It's that it, it appears to be sexual assault, and there's no discussion of that in canon. Um, and none of these people were concerned about that. Oh my gosh. See, it's these kinds of conversations that I love to have. I mean, I am not just an advocate in my professional life. I also love talking about this stuff in my personal life. <clears throat> and so Brag. Well, okay, okay. like I see it. And so these conversations about sexual violence and gender-based violence, I think, is one of the reasons why I love Game of Thrones Mm. and why I continued to watch... I I wouldn't say I continued to watch despite the sexual violence. I Mm. think the sexual violence is a really important part of the show, and I think it's... And I think it's actually started a lot of really important conversations that our society needs to have about, you know, not only how sexual violence is portrayed in the media, 
Um, but also, like, how realistic it is to have sexual violence in fictional uh, stories. So, I mean, I think that... I mean, sexual violence is, of course, hard to watch. But yeah, it's an important and realistic part. So I'm a big fan of representation. So that's something that I have been really interested in for years. So representation in every way where we see women in the media, women in the media who are not tiny little sticks, women in the media who are of different colors and abilities. Um, And I think the more that I learn about violence against women and gender-based violence, um, the more I think it's important that we have these stories. Mm-hmm. And we, someone who has experienced this can look, can, can look at a story and think, I see myself in that. Um, on the flip side, I don't know that um, David and DB did a good job portraying that. I really don't. But to me, overall, I just think Game of Thrones is really interesting. Um, I think just, like, the politics is really interesting. Sounds like it. I think gender-based violence is something that happens in politics even today, long past the Middle Ages, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, So, you know, when it comes up, I'm going to watch it, and I'm going to be critical, and I'm going to digest it and process it and think about it. But even now, I don't have a lot of conclusions about how I feel about these scenes. But I do think Britt's right. Like, we do need to be talking about it. And we need to have this representation. I really like thinking about it that way in in representation because I spend a lot of time thinking about representation in other ways, especially like culturally and racially. I spend a lot of time thinking about that, like who are we seeing in our in in our media? But I've never taken it to the extent of like what are we seeing in our media? Are we seeing a proportionate amount of gender based violence in our TV shows that we're consuming? I don't know why I've never thought of that. I think that's brilliant. Okay, thank you. I think that's brilliant. And I, Brittany, I completely agree with you. Like, if there's a show, I was just talking to you about the show I'm watching right now, about the domestic violence relationship, you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? And the show is like, it's whatever. It's it's very average. However, I continue to watch it because I want to see how they portray this domestic violence relationship and how, and I'm excited to see how people react to it. And so I totally, I'm totally with you guys on this. I do think, though, I I think that the show creators and producers could have handled the sexual violence a little bit more sensitively mm-hmm. because I, I mean, although I can see a lot of, like, accurate representation in it, I'm an advocate and a survivor. And mm-hmm. so, but not, I would, I would argue most people who watch Game of Thrones are not advocates. Yeah. Um, although a lot of them are survivors, maybe. Um, I mean, not not most of them by any means, but just statistically speaking, <laughs> right. the millions of people that watch. Yeah. Um, and so I think that they could have done a better job um, maybe elaborating a little bit more on on what was on the thought processes, I think. Yeah. Although it's hard to do when you don't have, like, narration or anything. Yeah. And it sounds like some of this was easier to catch in the books. Yeah, but, I think it is problematic if you have to be a, a skilled advocate to pick apart some of what's happening. Yeah. 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 I, I think something that I would like to see in the future is more mindful portrayals of sexual violence. Also, where are all the counselors in Westeros? How come <laughs> none of them are seeing a trained psychotherapist? Yeah, what's that about? <laughs> hmm? God, yeah, get these... Get no these mental health in the therapy. Middle Ages? <sighs> 
It's bullshit. <laughs> revenge. Um, revenge works for everybody. That's the therapy of the Middle Ages, yeah. is revenge. <laughs> um, I do want to mention one other really important reason I watch Game of Thrones is because Gwendolyn Christie is the greatest role model in the whole world. <laughs> she is perfect. She is pretty great. She's one of my favorite. Oh, I love Gwendolyn Christie. Actresses. Mm. She's gorgeous. Did you watch the Glam of Thrones or whatever? Like the teaser? I will show you this video of her and she is so beautiful. So we have to wrap this up so I can watch that. So so Brittany can go and watch Glam of Glam of Thrones? Something. Well, you can Google that as well. Whatever you do, don't Google tragedy porn. We've learned that the hard way. Oh my god, that's what it's called. Tragedy porn? It's called tragedy porn. Um, it's like a real thing. It's basically the idea that we as a society... You're not Googling that again. Do not go through that. Don't Google devastation porn. Oh, devastation Tragedy porn porn is the actual name of this phenomenon. Halfway halfway through, just a few minutes ago, all of a sudden, I'm sure you could hear it, Sydney started scribbling tragedy porn on my paper. (laughs) Because that's the name of it. Have you heard of this? No. Devastation porn is a no. Tragedy porn, that's what you're trying to get at. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you are interested in discussing more about Game of Thrones, maybe you had a different perspective. Maybe you hated the sexual assault. Maybe you loved the sexual assault portrayal. Whatever it is, let us know. I'm sure Sydney and Brittany are dying to know your thoughts on this as well, and I'm happy to mm-hmm. forward them along. So send them to my email at outreach at safeproject.org. And if you, of course, are ever in need of an advocate, wherever you are, um, hit up Safe Project because we can get you to where you need or we can help you ourselves. Um, is there, like, a, a way they always close Game of Thrones? With credits? <laughs> <laughs> or, or cliffhanger, cliffhanger, cliffhanger. No, it's, D, it's D&D talking about the episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we just kind of forgot about X, Y, and Z. <laughs>